bunch of sinners today. I am glad to be here with you guys. I am in good company. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Rock Hills. We're excited about what God's doing in this church, not just because it's a church and not just because you're here and we got new t-shirts, but we're excited about what God is doing here because I think it's at the very heart of what Jesus wants the church to be. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we talk about Come as you are. We're in this brand new series called I Love Rock Hills, and we want to tell you why we love Rock Hills and why we love what God is doing here. Come as you are. That's what we're talking about today. And uh, I doubt that Kurt Cobain was the first person to ever write those words down, and I'm not sure exactly what he meant by it, but I know it's been at the heart of this church since the very beginning, and it's at the heart of our church as we look forward to the future, and to us, it's more than just a slogan, a nice little tagline we can throw under the logo. It's a lot more than that to us. It's the concept of how we see community, how we see the people around us, that the people around us can come just like they are, that you can come here today just like you are with whatever you're facing, with whatever you're going through, you are welcome in this place That affects how we look at other people, the lens that we look at uh, the world by, and the way that we want to operate and move as a church. I think Rock Hills is a special place, and I think you're probably here because you think the same thing as well. But I can just say from my perspective personally and speaking on behalf of my family, this place has been God's grace to us when we were going through a difficult time in our lives. And I think a lot of you here could probably identify with that as well. You came in this place for whatever reason. Somebody invited you or you saw a sign or you saw it on Facebook or you just said, let's go try it out. Whatever reason, you came in these doors and you found God's grace and goodness in this place. And maybe you're here today for the first time. And if that is you, we want you to know that you're welcome in this place. And we believe that you will find what we have found in this place as well, that God's grace is demonstrated here. So as we start this new series, it's more than just a series of sermons that we're going to be doing for the next four weeks as we talk about I Love Rock Hills. But we want to give you a good concept of who we are as a church, the DNA of this place and the heartbeat of this place for where we're going and why we would love for you guys to all be a part of it. Uh, Rock Hills has been a very special place, and that doesn't change. It just continues to move forward. This is a place where we think that you can seek God every week and where you can serve God and serve others together. As we move forward in this new season, we want to take a look at who we are as a church. Rock Hills is a come-as-you-are kind of church. Jesus was a come-as-you-are kind of person. And so we're committed to being a Jesus kind of church. James 4, 8, one of my favorite scriptures tells us that as we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. In other words, as we come into this place and we, we may be hurting, we may be doing great. I don't know where you're at, but as you come into this place and you're saying, God, I'm willing to draw near to you 
God is saying, I will meet you where you're at and I will draw near to you as well. I want to look at this phrase today, come as you are, because like I said, it's at the heartbeat of who we are, but I think the very concept of it can really be understood better if we look at the opposite of what come as you are, because to me, the opposite of come as you are is come if you are. Religion has produced this kind of come if you are culture. So help me out a little bit. Uh, Come if you are what? What does religion tell us? We're going to have a little class participation here. Come if you are perfect. All right. Great answer. Come if you are not a hypocrite. Come if you are. What does religion tell us? Come. You're welcome here if if you're broken. All right. Good answers. If you look like us, all right, or even if maybe we could widen that out a little bit and just say, come if you are like us, that a lot of times that's what religion says. If you're like us, you can come here, but come as you are, says, if you're broken, come on in. Come if you are, says, if you've got your act together, if you're like us, because we're pretending like we have our act together, then come on in. I think the opposite of come as you are has come if you are. And we don't want to be a come if you are church. We want to be a come as you are church. And that affects the programs that we do. That affects how we spend money. That affects how we see people. That determines how we want to be as a church. We want to be a come as you are church. We're going to look at uh, a series of scriptures today, and we actually looked at these not too long ago, but we're going to look at them from a whole new perspective today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, because I think Jesus gives us a great illustration of these two concepts, come as you are or come if you are. And so we're going to take a look at Jesus distinguishing these two concepts really brilliantly. So Luke chapter 15 is a trilogy of lost things. We looked at this a few weeks ago when we talked about the father. You've got a lost sheep, you've got a lost coin, and you've got a lost son. We know that story as the prodigal son. But here's the perspective I want us to take a look at this passage today. Not just what the stories are talking about, but I want you to see who's telling the story, and which is Jesus, and who Jesus is is actually telling the story to. Because that shapes the whole purpose and intent of the message that he's giving to these people. So who is he talking to? And uh, it's an easy easy, uh, couple of scriptures to skip over and get right to the story. But if you look at these, it really does make a huge difference. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, there's a real key to this story here. It says, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So here's what's happening. Jesus, everybody's hearing about what he's doing. He's teaching this. People are being healed. Miracles are happening. So everywhere that he's going, there's a crowd of people that are following him because they want to hear what this guy has to say, right? So here we find ourselves one day probably 
on a hillside and he's up and there's a crowd of people kind of like this that have gathered here today. Now, I'm not Jesus, but I'm going to be reading his words. So he's speaking to them and there's two groups of people that have gathered. There's the come as you are people and there's the come if you are people, which have both gathered to hear what he has to say. First of all, it tells us tax collectors and sinners have come to hear what Jesus has to say. Now, when you think of tax collectors, you may think of your local IRS agent or your guy that works down at H&R Block that helps you put together uh, your, your tax and file them for turns and that sort of thing. That's not what we're talking about here. So just a real quick description. A tax collector was a Jewish person who worked for the Roman government. The Roman government ruled over the Jewish people, and they would collect taxes from them. But here's what the Roman government discovered. The Jewish people hate us because we're going in and just taking money from them. So they got real smart. They said, rather than us go in and take money from them, we'll just hire some of your own people who will basically sell their souls. We'll pay them. We'll tell them, you can take as much money as you want as long as you give the Roman government our cut. So there were, there were certain people in the Jewish community who said, you know what? I would really like to be rich, and I can be as rich as I want to be. So they would go to the Roman government and say, I'll be a tax collector. And then that tax collector would go to his family, to his neighbors, to his friends, to his co-workers, whoever it may be, and say, pay me the money. And if you don't pay me the money, you're going to be sold into slavery or you're going to be executed or you're going to be jailed. And not only would they say, pay me what you owe the Roman government, but they might double it and they would keep the rest for themselves. So if that was your neighbor who was doing that to you, you wouldn't be real fond of that guy. Tax collectors were absolutely despised by the Jewish community. They could only hang out with other tax collectors because nobody else wanted to be around them. And so no Jewish people wanted to be around tax collectors, and this group of people all of a sudden were following Jesus. Now, it also says that sinners were there. And when I say sinners, I don't just mean, oh, I was driving two miles over the speed limit. Sorry. These sinners were viewed as a category of people. Maybe they had a, a physical deformity. Well, you must have sinned. Your parents must have sinned. That's the reason that you have that. Maybe you have a disease. Maybe you're deformed in some sort of way. So they would view you as a sinner. Or maybe you are a known murderer or prostitute. Whatever it may be, a thief. Those people were classified as sinners. So here we've got this ragtag group of people that are made up of tax collectors who betrayed their own people and notorious sinners. And nobody else wants to be around these people, but this group of rejects all of a sudden are following Jesus. Now, they're, they're gathered up here in the front. All you people in the first three or four rows, wave your hands. All right. The, these are all those people, right? All those people, the notorious tax collectors and sinners. And then we've got all you other people in the back. People in the back of the room, wave your hand. All right. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They've got it all together. Their life is put together. Their clothes are starched. They know the scripture inside and out. And they follow the law to every single detail. Even beyond what the law says. So that they can even do extra. And so we've got these two groups of people. The people in the back, back there at the back of the room. You, you teachers of the law. You're angry. 
Because you hear what Jesus is doing and you're following him and you're disgusted that he's up here rubbing elbows with these tax collectors and sinners. We have come as you are people up here at the front and we've got come if you are people at the back. Now see, you people at the front, you're come as you are people because here's what you understand. You're never going to be good enough to get into God's presence. You people who are tax collectors... You sold your soul. You don't have any hope to have any kind of favor ever again in the Jewish community. You traded it for money, and it's gone. You, you people who are murderers and thieves and prostitutes and have deformities, there is something wrong with you. You will never be good enough to be in God's presence, and you people are well aware of it because society lets you know all the time that you're never going to be good enough. And you people at the back, you are come if you are people. You have worked very hard and you're good people. You've done the right things. You work hard to to keep every detail of the law. You're good people, but you're also disgusted because how could this man who calls himself a godly man be associating with these come as you are people? So here we are in this trilogy and Jesus starts out with, with uh, these two short stories at first, and I'm just going to touch on them real quick. I encourage you to read Luke chapter 15 because I'm just going to hit the highlights today. But he talks about this, this story of the lost sheep, and he says, you know, there's a hundred sheep, and one of them has gotten lost, and the shepherd is going to go and find that lost sheep. Here's what he says in verse 7. In the same way, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus is talking to two groups of people here at the same time. So he's telling these people, did you hear that? In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God. And all of a sudden, you people up here at the front, you come as you are, people are realizing, wait, you're saying even me, I could return to God? He goes on with the next story. It's a lost coin. It's a widow. She's only got a little bit of money. She's got 10 coins. And all of a sudden, she loses one of them. And it says, basically, she tears up the house to find that one coin. Here's what it says in verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. So all of a sudden, these come-as-you-are people, these sinners, are beginning to have hope. Jesus is saying that I can come just like I am, and that God not only allows me to come, but He rejoices when I come. And you people at the back, wrong, wrong, wrong. That can't be right, right? There's no way. That these people can come into God's presence. So all of a sudden, there's a hope rising and there's an angst rising. And then Jesus is going to throw the knockout punch as he gets to the third story. As he's talking to these people who know they aren't good enough. And these people at the back who feel like they have earned God's favor and they deserve God's favor. So he gets to the prodigal son. Most of you are probably familiar with this story. If not, again, I encourage you to read it this week uh, and see what the text says uh, in full. But I'm just going to sum it up here for you. You've got 
You've got a younger son and an older son and a father who are in the midst of this story. And keep, keep in mind the context of everything. It's Jesus, and he's talking to this group of people. We've got notorious sinners, and we've got teachers of the law. So he's telling them this story. He tells them that there's a younger son. This younger son, he doesn't do what's right. He doesn't come to work on time. He's got holes in his jeans, and he probably bought them that way, right? He comes to the breakfast table with his hoodie on, and it's 99 degrees outside, and he's got his hoodie pulled up over his head, and you're trying to talk to him, but you can't even talk to him because he's got his headphones in, so you, you have to text him to even be able to talk to him, right? So he, he's coming, and here's this younger son who just doesn't quite fit the mold, and then you've got the older son. He works hard. He's got his clothes cleaned up, his shoes shined, and he is ready to go. He's seemingly perfect in every way. But at some point along the line, the younger son just has enough. And he says, I'm done with this in probably very colorful language, right? He says, I I don't want to work at your ranch anymore. I'm done with this, dad. He sends his dad a text. I want my money and I want it now. Don't make me call Al Hasler and send him in here, right? He wants his money, he wants his inheritance, and he wants to take it and go. So he goes, and basically his inheritance would have been a third of the land. His father owned an estate. So he sticks a quick sale sign up in front of his third of the land. He cashes it out. He goes to the barn. He gets the GTO that him and his dad restored. He puts pedal to the metal, and he takes off. Now, here's what you've got to understand. In this culture, in this Middle Eastern culture, whether you are one of the rejects, come as you are people, or you're one of the uh, uptight, follow the law to the T people in the back of the room, every single one of them understood what this meant. When the younger son goes to the father and says, I want my inheritance, he's not just saying, hey, dad, I want to take my money. He's saying, dad, you are dead to me. I'm out of here. I'm done I'm no longer your son. I'm taking my money and I'm going. And he disowned the family, which was of utmost importance in that culture. So this would have been a shocking moment in the story for every single person that heard it as he tells this story. So the younger son, right, he takes off in his GTO. It says he heads off to a distant land, which I'm sure was Mexico, right? He's taken off. He's going to hit every bar along the way that he can and just party it up as absolutely hard as he can. He's down there living in Mexico. All of a sudden, the housing bubble pops. Pop. The money runs out. All the girls that were hanging around him all of a sudden leave. The drugs are gone. He doesn't know what to do or where he's going to get his next hit. And so all he can begin to do is begin to try to feed himself, and he has to do the most despicable thing imaginable. Now, the Bible tells us that he was, he was feeding pigs and eating their pig slop, um, which to even us, that sounds gross. But all of the Jewish people probably threw up in their mouth a little bit when, when Jesus got to this part of the story, because Jewish people would have nothing to do with pigs and pork, right? I like bacon. You like bacon. We like bacon. But the Jewish people in this story, listening to this story, they would have had nothing to do with pigs. So not only was it disgusting that he was with the pigs, but he was eating after the pigs. 
So he's setting up this story that the, the, this son, who was about as low as you could get, has even managed to find a lower level of disgust with the people. And then the Bible tells us that he comes to his senses. As he's laying there in despair, he remembers the ranch. And he remembers his dad. He knows he's out of money. He knows he's made a poor choice. He's done things that are absolutely unspeakable. So he comes up with a plan. I'm going to walk back to Texas. I'm going to find my dad. And I'm going to say, I know I don't deserve to be your son. But could I just be a hired hand and live on a cot in the barn and work for the rest of my life? Because I know that would be so much better than what I'm doing right now. So as we read through the Bible, we see he practices this speech all the way home, right? Dad, I've really messed up. I I don't deserve to be called your son. Can I just be a hired hand? Can I live in the barn? Here's here's the way it literally says it in the Bible. Uh, Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So the listeners, as they're hearing this story, I'm sure that all the come-if-you-are people, the teachers in the back of the room are thinking, good, it's time for justice. It's time for you to get, young man, what you've got coming to you. You've disgraced this family. You've disgraced the name of God. You're embarrassing to your entire community. Now, in that community, probably what would have happened if he would have returned home He would have been stoned to death. If not, he would have at least been extremely humiliated in front of the entire community. And all the teachers of the law are ready for him to pay the sentence for him breaking the law of the people. And so he's coming home. uh, The listeners are ready for him to get what's coming to him. The come as you are people are thinking, oh my goodness, what's going to happen uh, and we see in Luke fifteen twenty one says this. His father said to him, uh, sorry, he's, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Right? This is the speech that he's been practicing. But he doesn't even get through the whole speech. Something strange happens. The father doesn't let him finish. The father doesn't let him grovel. Or beg. The father doesn't say, I've been waiting for you to do this so that I could put you in my place. Do you know what you've cost this family? Do you know how you've humiliated us? Do you know what my reputation is now around town? The fact that he didn't uh, let his son have it was a shocker to everyone listening. You have to put yourself in the audience's shoes here. As they hear this, they're seeing something here that this is not justice. This is grace. And the father goes on in verse 22. But his father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate and feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. And so the party began. The father says, you don't have to pay a price because you are my son. You see, it's not based on 
if you are good enough. It's based on come as you are. And you are my creation and my son. I can just imagine the Pharisees, the teachers of the law at the back of the room. Just wait, 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 wait. That's not right. It's not fair. Not only has the father welcomed this son back, but now he's giving him his ring. He's giving him his robe. He's giving him his sandals. He is giving him full authority that the father has. Everything that was gone is now being restored. Everything that he was created to be, even though he was dead, he is alive again and now has been given back to him. And there's a great sense of injustice with all the come if you are people saying it's not fair. I've done all of this right. How can he be welcomed back? And Jesus could have just stopped the story there. It would have been a great story. But he continues. He continues and adds on to this great story and tells us about the other brother. Because there's this older son, right? Remember, he's moral. He's got a good work ethic. We like him. I mean, this is a guy that we would like. But the teachers of the law that come, if you are people, certainly like this guy. He's like us. We can identify with him. That's our guy. He represented them, and that's exactly what Jesus meant to do. He meant this older brother represents you. Luke 15, 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. So the older brother, he's out in the field. He's working hard. And he begins to walk home one day. And as he walks home, it's like, what is that noise? Do you hear that? And all of a sudden, he hears dancing. I don't know how good the dancing has to be for you to be able to hear it across a pasture, right? That is a party, right? I mean, how good would that? I mean, that would have to be like two hops this time, you know? Right foot, let's stomp. Uh-oh. Left foot, let's stomp. He's Freeze. walking across the field, clap and all hands. of a sudden he hears... Right? I mean, there is an epic out, party going on down at the ranch house. And so the older brother is going, what in the world is happening? And he gets back not only to find out that there is an epic party going on, but that this brother of his who disowned the family has now been given sonship, has been given the authority of the father, and the father has gone and killed the prize calf. And when you killed the calf, you wouldn't have had any leftovers, which meant you would have invited the entire community. The whole community has showed up because the younger brother is back home and there's a raging party going on. Luke 15, 28 says, The older brother, as he comes home, he becomes angry and refused to go. What it should have said is that the older brother 
came home and he says, Father, what's going on? And the father says, your younger brothers come home, come in and celebrate with us. And the older brother would have gone in and embraced the younger brother and said, welcome back to the family. We're so glad to have you back. Your past is forgotten. You are alive again. But that's not what the older, bro- the older brother does. It says, so the father went out and pleaded with him. There's something about this father here that's amazing. Here's what I want you to see. Remember when the father goes out to welcome the younger brother who is walking home? Well, the father also goes out to welcome the older brother and say, come in. He invites them both in to the party. But the older brother is outside refusing to come in if it's with the come as you are people, if it's with the younger brother. Jesus is showing the entire audience who's listening that the sin of the older brother is equal to the sin of the younger brother. And maybe, just maybe, you're like me, and sometimes you find yourself being more like that teacher of the law than you do the come-as-you-are people. Maybe you find yourself judging other people, thinking they don't live up to the standard they should be living up to. I know I can find myself there. Jesus is showing us through this story that the sin of the older brother is equal to the sin of the younger brother. How does the father treat him? He extends the same grace that he extended to the younger brother. I can just imagine the teachers of the law thinking, we don't need your grace. We're not messing up. We've done everything right. We've kept the law. We're uptight and we do everything perfect, right? That's what they're thinking. We don't need it. So they refuse to go in to the party. Jesus answers, verse 29. But he answered, uh, the younger son answered his father. Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Here's the paradigm. Come if you are like us. Come if you are good enough. Come if you are dressed appropriately. Come if you are sober. Come if you are clean. Come if you are only in your first marriage. Come if you are whatever it may be, right? This is the younger brother's paradigm. I've done everything right. Come if you are. And Jesus is saying, that's not how you get to God. By trying to earn his approval and be good enough. Let's be honest, we would all probably be a little bit confused or angry if we were on the other end of that and seeing the father pour out his love and admiration on this younger son. It says in verse 31, My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. Here's the deal. The younger brother, he knew that he'd blown it. He'd screwed up his life. He knew there was no way back to the father to be his son except by the grace that the father had given him. And the real tragedy here is that the older brother 
who worked so hard to be so good all of his life, he actually ended up living out the younger brother's request. Right? What was the younger brother's request? Father, just let me be a hired hand and be your servant rather than live as your son. And that's exactly what the older brother did. Rock Hills is a come-as-you-are church. Whatever you're facing, come as you are because Jesus welcomes you as you are. We are not a come-if-you-are church where you have to be good enough. He begs the older son. He offers him all of his self, but he refuses. We can find ourselves in that spot where we're just serving God out of duty. I don't know where you may find yourself today. Maybe you're in the place where you know you need God's grace. Or maybe you're in the place where you do it because it's duty. I want to encourage you today to search your heart and ask yourself, why am I coming to God? Why am, I, why am I here in this church today? Are you ready to come as you are? Knowing that we could never meet the moral scale. I've, uh, I've got two daughters now that are driving. One of them just got uh, her driver's license here in the last couple of weeks. And driving in San Antonio has been a whole new experience for us since we moved up here. Uh, but it's caused me to be very much more aware of my own actions Because now I'm teaching two daughters and it's so easy to be a hypocrite, right? How many of you do a little bit of this while you're driving, right? And I would catch myself reaching down. Maybe maybe I wasn't even texting, just messing with a song or whatever and thinking, oh, I don't want them doing that. I need to put my phone down, right? But a lot of us can find ourselves in that place. And I'm not going to call you out today and make you stand up and repent or anything, But if you're one of those who drives down the street doing this, you know why you do it? Because you can handle it, right? I mean, seriously, you've been driving long enough, you're skilled enough that you can both handle answering a quick question and driving at the same time. The come if you are people, I can handle it. I can handle life. But you know what? All it takes is one time when you're answering a question, you look up and you think, where did that set of mailboxes come from? And in one moment, our life could be changed. Our, we, could, we could mess ourselves up. We could mess other people up. And I would dare to say that there are some of you in here today that you realize my life is messed up. I have done things that have messed my life up. I am never going to be good enough to reach that standard. Come as you are. We're never going to reach that place. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who welcomes us just as we are. Father, whether we've wrecked our lives or wrecked other people's lives or maybe our lives are together, but we realize that we have a desperate need of you. Father, today we thank you for your grace. And Lord, I thank you for a church that walks in your grace and wants to live your grace out. Help us to be that grace to our friends and neighbors and community. And Father, I I believe that there's some here today, Father, that need to come home and accept that grace. 
If you're here today and you know that you need to come as you are and you need to accept the Father's love in your life, I want you to take a moment just to ask Him. In your heart, in your own words, it doesn't have to be fancy. Just ask Him to be the Lord of your life or ask Him to welcome you back home. And if you prayed that today, we would love to pray with you uh, as well after the service. But dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you welcome us just as we are. Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you.